Hello, Dog Pound. Welcome to the Oracle Speaks. I am the Village Elliot. I'm going to tell you about the past, the present, and the future. Today, I'm going to tell you mainly about the past. I had nearly blotted out the memory of the past defeats of the Cleveland Browns at the hands of the Denver Broncos. But it is Broncos week. The Browns are going to play the Broncos this Sunday. And uh, every Browns fan that was alive in the 1980s remembers three terrible defeats at the hands of John Elway and the Denver Broncos. I think, you know, if the team is going to have a Hall of Fame, in all seriousness, we also ought to have a Hall of Villains, a Hall of Foes, maybe. People that made our guts churn, that took away the potential to win. It's not all about winning. It's also about coming short and about having some other team that took our place in the Super Bowl and that uh, made us uncomfortable. It's about teaching us how to learn to live with a defeat for the rest of our lives, and that would be John Elway. I think the worst foe that we ever had, or the toughest foe, I should say, was probably Terry Bradshaw of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers went to four Super Bowls in the 1970s, and they beat the tar out of the Browns on a regular basis. That was a very, very difficult period in Cleveland Browns history. And meanwhile, we had uh, Art Modell acting as our general manager during much of that time, making terrible trades and weakening the team. That made it very, very hard to take. It really did. I, you know, you can say what you want about Art Modell moving the team to Baltimore, but equally bad, equally painful for me was the fact that Art Modell acted as the team's general manager and made terrible trades. You can complain about Andrew Barry all you want, but for every trade that you want to mention by Andrew Barry, I can give you three trades by Art Modell that were ten times as bad. I mean, come on. Art Modell was bad beyond belief. But anyway, let's update ourselves and go to the 1980s. Um, I'm reminded that uh, sometime there was a letter about how athletes are moving from one team to the next, and why can't players be like John Elway and just play for one team their entire careers? And so I thought to myself, oh, you mean like the New York Yankees? Because that was the professional team that John Elway started with. John Elway, you may recall, was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, and he decided, well, I don't want to play with the Indianapolis Colts. That's a lousy team. I'm going to go play baseball. And so he did. And he was a very good baseball player. He played right field. He could hit, hit with power. He could steal bases. He played amazing defense. And yeah, from right field, he can gun out just about any runner who dared to try to go first to third on him. He was a brilliant defensive outfielder, and George Steinbrenner wanted him to play right field for the New York Yankees for 20 years. Uh, that did not materialize because eventually they worked out a deal whereby John Elway could go to the Denver Broncos, and I think it cost all of two first-round draft picks to allow that to happen. And that's how the Broncos got John Elway, and he was an unbelievable quarterback 
I believe that he was the most physically talented quarterback of his generation. He could run, he could throw, uh, he was elusive, he could do everything that a quarterback should be able to do. He did not have the supporting cast that Joe Montana had, and so a, a lot of uh, sports writers hold that against him and believe that that was his fault and that uh, Joe Montana was just better than him because he had more Super Bowl rings. I don't know if you can judge team success and blame that on the individual or credit that to the individual. Uh, it's very hard for me to compare Joe Montana and John Elway. I don't necessarily find the need to do that, but you know, if you want to say that the Super Bowl rings were all achieved by Joe Montana, Jerry Rice had nothing to do with it, uh, okay, fine. But I think that um, John Elway was certainly, in my mind, the equal of Joe in many respects, and in fact could do some things that nobody else in that generation could do. He was an unbelievable player, and I can't stand him. Uh, 1986, I think, was the best year that the Browns had under Marty Schottenheimer. It was the most complete team. That was when uh, Bernie Kosar and uh, Ernest Biner and Kevin Mack were all at their peak. I think especially Mack and Bernie had some injury problems as they progressed in their career. Ernest Biner was kind of indestructible. You couldn't do anything to him to really hurt him. But Bernie, I think there's some truth to the notion that injuries took their toll as he got older. And Kevin Mack also had some injuries that slowed him down a bit. He was still a very, very credible player, but he was really dominant early in his career. Anyway, they had a fantastic team. And yet in 1986, they had John Elway on the ropes. They had him pinned down on the two-yard line, and they were ahead by a touchdown, 20-13, to 13, with uh, uh, just about a minute to go. And you know what? I, I've never watched, never watched the drive ever since it happened so my memory is a little bit foggy on the details I just it was just too painful for me to watch but I got the the uh, Twitter recap of that drive and I'm gonna play it for you and narrate it as best I can I hope I don't cry but before I do that I wanted to do a little bit of a commercial and give some credit you might wonder, where does Elliot get all this great music uh, for the background music and the introduction for the show? And I'll tell you what I do. Uh, there's a thing that you can get on YouTube, and it's called No Copyright Music. And that's exactly what I've gotten for you. Uh, there's a stuff called uh, 1950s Rock and Roll that you can get. And so I got uh, today, I got a thing called... Uh, 50s Rockabilly, Bye Bye Baby, No Copyright 50s Rockabilly, and the uh, the uh, sponsor or the producer, I guess, is called Free Sound Music, and it's available on YouTube, and that's where I get the music. I'm not a musician. I don't have uh, millions of, uh, you know, recording studio musicians producing it for me. I just get it from YouTube. It's simple as that. And with that, I'll pause for a minute and allow our uh, paying sponsors to make some commercials so that this show can make some money 
and I'll just give a little three second pause here. Okay, and we're back, and now we're rich, and I'm going to go uh, switch over to Twitter. And, of course, it always takes me a minute to uh, present this. Just a minute. Okay, and here it is from Twitter, which is automatically available to the public. And we're watching Today in Sports. Let me start it from the beginning, expand it, and let's give it a watch. Three left. Elway's got some running room. And Sewell. Oh, how did he hang on to it? It's complete at the 40 yard line. Complete. Clint Sampson or Mark Jackson, it was. Mark Jackson. Screen to Sewell has blockers. Touchdown, Mark Jackson. Three left. Can't watch it anymore. That's all that we need to know. Okay, so we're back. Yeah. John Elway was something else. Um, that game, by the way, that, that did not win the game for him. The drive did not win the game. It only tied it, but then he went right back to work. They got the ensuing uh, kickoff. And they went like uh, 60 yards or something, kicked a field goal, and then they won 23-20. to 20. And that was that. Um, I think what you need to realize in a, when you play a quarterback like John Elway is that the only way that you can win that game is you, you have to be an offensive-minded coach. And we talked last week about being a defensive-minded coach with this team. But against John Elway, you've got to be ahead by... Uh, nine points in today's NFL. I think back then they did not have the two-point conversion, so you could be ahead by eight points late in the fourth quarter, and you could beat Elway. Uh, but if you have an opportunity to tie the game, that's exactly what he was going to do. You could not count on defeating him uh, simply... <coughs> excuse me. Pardon me, folks. You couldn't count on defeating him simply by being ahead by one touchdown and uh, the extra point or, or two-point conversion uh, in today's game. So, yeah, if you're facing the number one uh, offensive team or 
or the number one quarterback in the NFL, you have to be ahead by more than one score in order to guarantee victory. And that was a painful lesson to learn. You could not trust your own defense, even though you know, Marty, being a former defensive coordinator, believed in his defense and felt that, his, uh, that he could play with a seven-point lead. And I don't know if there was something that he could have done earlier in the game to maybe take a chance and try to score an additional field goal or something, but he wasn't safe uh, even with 98 yards to go for a tie game. That was not a safe lead. And um, that was a painful lesson to learn, but um, that's what happened now. In those days, the AFC was not as strong as the NFC. The New York Giants had a suffocating defense, and they were able to have their way with the Broncos, and they won, a, I, I forgot what the score was, but it was something like 40-20. to 20. It was not close. The Denver Broncos were not in the same class as the Giants, and I believe that if the Cleveland Browns had gone to the Super Bowl, it would have been an upset if the Browns were to have won that game. So I don't think that we're entitled to think that, oh, if we only we had gotten past Elway, we'd have won that Super Bowl for sure. That's probably not the case. It's probably not the case. I don't think the Browns were, I don't think that anybody in the AFC uh, was good enough to beat maybe the top three teams in the NFC in that era. And that was the era of, you know, the Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers and all those guys were really, really tough teams. And uh, we were just not really up to that. So I think that uh, John Elway um, got to us two additional times in the 1980s or course was the fumble uh, the next year when Ernest Biner uh, helped the Browns come from behind. He had some kind of impossible yardage total like 170 yards or something like that. And they could absolutely not stop Ernest but ultimately they played to cause a fumble at the end of the game and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Ernest fumbled and uh, that halted the Browns' drive. Uh, then there was uh, a you know, safety at the end of the game, and I forget what the final score was. It was like 20, 38 to 36 or something like that. And uh, Ernest took that very, very hard. And you can read about it in his book called Everybody Fumbles. And uh, I, I've met uh, Ernest at uh, Brown's backers function, talked to him at length and talked to a lot of his friends. And he really did take that very, very hard. Some of the things that you need to know, however, is that Ernest Biner has two Super Bowl rings. So nobody should call him a loser because he's not a loser. He has not one, but two Super Bowl rings one of which he earned as a member of the Washington Redskins as the feature back, and another one he earned as a, a coach for the hated Baltimore Ravens. Um, nevertheless, he's got two rings, two Super Bowl rings. So let's not say that, you know, it's Ernest's fault and he's a big loser because he's not. Uh, he did have a setback. And the Browns were foolish to not have faith in him because 
he wound up gaining over a thousand yards rushing for Washington when they um, supported him with a great offensive line and uh, not even a great quarterback. I think uh, Mark Rippon was the quarterback for that team and Mark wasn't really that outstanding once he left Washington. In fact, he played with the Cleveland Browns for a while and couldn't do very much with our team. But um, also, I, you know, I told I told Ernest, Ernest, you're really being selfish if you think that the you lost the game for a team that gave up more than 30 points on defense. You know, were you out there tackling and making those missed tackles and and uh, giving up touchdowns? Uh, I don't think that was your fault, and uh, you know he he wouldn't agree with me that it was anybody's responsibility other than his. All he could think about was scoring another touchdown and going up on Denver, um, you know, getting another seven points. But I, I I really truly believe that look, if your defense is giving up more than thirty points, I think they were giving up. 36, not counting the safety that later occurred. It's hard to imagine that you're going to go win a Super Bowl with a defense that gives up that many points. It just, I just don't know if that's really true or not. Um, you know, that yeah, they had Kosar, yeah, they had Mac, yeah, they had Biner, and they had a whole bunch of other offensive players that were really good, but Defense wins championships, and they just weren't playing defense very well against Denver. So anyway, that's the reason why I continue to hate Denver. Uh, I think Denver was just a little bit better than the Browns that year, and then also you know against you know there was another um, time uh, a year or two later when they the two teams met in the playoffs, and uh, Denver put a beat down on the Browns that time. It was pretty decisive. Uh, and uh, Ernest lost his cool in that game. But, you know, there was no possibility that the Browns were going to win that. They were really not in it at all. And uh, they wound up trading Ernest to Washington for a guy named Mark Oliphant, who never really contributed. And uh, that was not a good trade. That was not a good trade at all. I think that was kind of owner-driven. And you know who the owner was. What do you expect? But, uh, yeah, there's a special place that the Broncos have in Brown's history. We do not have warm feelings for that team. We have respect, certainly, for John Elway as one of the most difficult opponents that the Browns have ever faced. Uh, but... Uh, it would feel very, very good if we could beat them on Sunday. It really would. The Broncos uh, were just a very, very tough team in the 1980s. The confrontations that they had with the Browns were really classic battles. And I just cannot help but feel that it's, you know, what goes around comes around. I just feel like it's probably our turn right now. The Broncos are favored, and I've you know, talked about that earlier in the week, that I think that the home field advantage in Denver is real because of the elevation. But on the other hand, and also they've really improved a lot since the beginning of the season when they were getting their butt kicked by everybody, that improvement is also real. 
But on the other hand, they're one of the weakest teams in the NFL in terms of giving up yardage versus the run. And the Browns are still one of the top teams in the NFL in terms of making yards with the run. And I don't know that that's a good matchup for Denver this time. I think the Browns probably match up pretty well. And I think the Browns could possibly make some yards and score some points on offense in Denver. Let's see how that works out. So hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. And let's see if we can make some turkeys out of these Denver Broncos. Take care, everyone. God bless. Signing off. I'll see you next week after the game. Bye for now.